I'm going to go to that Kroger and I'm going to buy it and I'm going to make a video of me dumping it out and pissing on it. I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from Cinema Sins. Joined as always by the voice of Cinema Sins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. That was your zombie hello. Yeah, mm-hmm. just waking up. And for music video sins, Barrett Share. Hello there. And today we're going to be doing, uh, yeah, your basic everyday episode, garden variety episode here. With, uh, you know, rants and questions and recommends and warns and things like that. So, is anybody pissed off about anything? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I'm as mad as hell! You've never seen me very upset. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, you are right. You uh, are. I'm, I'm not pissed, but I have I have noticed this uh, in a couple movies I've watched in the last couple weeks. And I've realized it's maybe worth making a recurring sin in the videos about. And it's where uh, somebody in a movie has an affair, cheats on a spouse or a significant other, but the movie by the end makes that significant other partly or mostly to blame for the cheating. Usually Mm. it's a friend of the cheating spouse that says, it's not like you were around for them anyway. It's always what were they supposed to do, <laughs> and that shit is fucking infuriating. Uh, and I'm just going to make an analogy because I recently watched this Tiger Woods documentary, the two parter on HBO, and <clears throat> I feel like something I said about that uh, about Tiger in general uh, applies here. In that he, yes, his father was way too hard on him, started him way too young, was a bad influence with the womanizing. And uh, Tiger has this massive media pressure on him from such an early age. And that can make an environment for a person that makes them more susceptible to bad decisions. But that person still has to own those bad decisions. Mm -hmm. It's not entirely Earl Woods' fault that Tiger cheated on his wife with like 12 different people. Uh, it's not entirely the fact that he's a celebrity's fault. He still made those choices. And in these movies, when people cheat, it's, it's interesting that I chose an analogy about adultery with a real person, but they still made that choice. They still went and cheated. I don't care how fucking cold and distant Mr. Dude was, or let's see, I'm, put, I'm putting it, I'm genderizing it my way because I have experience with this back in the day, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it could be the man that cheated and and then somebody's blaming the wife. I've seen this happen in movies too, uh, but it's very frustrating because people need to own their choices. And I feel like what the movies are trying to do ultimately is either get them back together or hint that they'll get back together. And in order to do that, you have to sort of spread the guilt around on both sides. So everybody has to sort of compromise and say, yes, I also am responsible for, you opening your legs for that other person because I wouldn't play Yahtzee with you. Um, <clears throat> it's just bad writing, and it makes a common me angry. tale. Tale as old as time. Uh, can I argue with you for a second? Uh, yeah, sure, because I think you're wrong. Because yeah, I think you're right and wrong. Because I think you're right in the fact that movies rely on this as a crutch. You're absolutely right, and I think you're absolutely right about the documentary. Uh, 
kind of building a case for why Tiger did what he did sure. based on his background. <clears throat> but also, you know, there are some movies where it's like, man, this guy's a dick. This guy is a terrible husband. This guy is never around for anything. What was the on the rocks was what you were watching, Chris, recently, right? Where this mm-hmm. happened, uh, where where it seemed like the relationship wasn't ever off the ground in the first place. Well, yeah, I mean they they show um, they show a happy couple right after they get married, and they cut right to it being on the rocks, essentially, where they're like barely. They're kind of talking to each other, but they're not like registering everything each other's saying and everything. The whole movie is about her thinking that he's cheating on her and everything. Yeah. And he's probably wrong in that sense. But like there are movies where I think it shows a justifiable dalliance. And I'm not coming up with any right now, but it's like where the, the, the significant other is not abusive necessarily physically or sexually or anything like that, but they're just gone. And the other person is just like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta meet my you, needs. You take care of yourself, or you end the relationship. I can, I'm not. You're take not care gonna, of yourself. You're not like, gonna make a very good case to to support adultery, at least not with me. Right. Um, like, if if a husband is abusive, um, I could see if you're seeking shelter somewhere else and feelings happen. I'm not yeah, trying to yeah, yeah. say it's like a no exceptions kind of rule, but I'm just saying and generally in the movies, it's just because the husband works too too much. Like the movie unfaithful was one of the movies I saw recently. Richard Gere isn't a bad husband. He works too much. Even after she's having the affair, she's in the tub. No, you're right. You're she's right. Like, you want to join me? She's trying to act like they're going to have sex in the tub because their marriage is not, it's not that bad. He's just distant. And she sleeps with art dude who frankly, I think is a, a, a prick that, probably deserved to die he carries himself in that movie he's very well acted but i hate that character <laughs> yeah. it's just like what hey you I, of- your wife gave it to me man it ain't my fault i was just <laughs> here my dick was out she brought that stuff in he here. On it. the and- um he's in there the- painting with his dick yeah exactly <laughs> um what do you think of uh, uh the reasoning for Kristen bell and for getting sarah marshall um what was her reasoning well obviously she should have gone to jason siegel early on and said this isn't working and then started banging russell brand but yes mm-hmm. uh but later on uh when he goes when he finally gets her alone and asks it what uh if she like she didn't even try she goes oh i tried and then she shows like all the different things that she tried to do yes uh, and i I get that he takes some responsibility in the relationship not working, Mm -hmm. but she takes all responsibility in the cheating. And also Mm. it's somewhere around in there that he finds out it was a whole fucking year before he Mm -hmm. found out about it, before she broke up with him. So yes, he was not a good boyfriend and uh, he needs to own that. And I'm okay with that, but she needs to tell him that and leave him before she starts, you know, throwing caution and other things to the wind. That's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. It's not hard. It's not hard to end a relationship. If you're, if you're at the point where you're like, if you're at the point where you're like, yes, I am 100% ready to fuck this random person that is not in my relationship. Just give a phone call. Matt Tiger Woods broke up with his college girlfriend in a letter. Just, just Hey babe, <laughs> it's not working out. I'll pick up my stuff tomorrow. 
Boom. <laughs> then at least you're not committing adultery. You're not cheating. At that <laughs> but point. what if you, you just do a one-time thing and then you come back, you're like, ah, that's not for me. And then you come back and you're like, all right, I'm, I'm down with, with uh, what I was with before. You have to go out and explore. I'm not saying I would do this. But, you know, somebody goes out and explores and like, maybe, maybe yeah, I'm not getting what I need from from this. Maybe I need to go out and, and try this. OK, it didn't work. I'm back to the uh, the other person. You can't just yeah, wipe that whole relationship away, especially if you're married and, uh, and, re- and just say, OK, if you're in a relationship where sleeping with another person would be considered cheating, then that's yeah. a serious enough relationship for you to break it off before you sleep with somebody else. Yeah, you don't need to sow any wild oats if you're already in a place where. Like, if you just been on one date with a person, then she yeah. finds out you fucked Karen, that's not a big deal. You didn't yeah. cheat. You weren't yeah. committed. Yeah. There's a big difference there. And I'm just saying, to bring it all home, not to make this a referendum on adultery, but the movies use this as a crutch to try and wrap the movie up with a bow. And it's very often, well, what did you expect them to do? You were never around. And I mm-hmm. fucking hate it. It drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got you. I have a brief one. Uh, I don't. I, I didn't really have uh, much, but yesterday when we had our false start on trying to do this podcast, I was, all, <laughs> we did? I, was I was getting into a rant, uh, just talking about the general news of the day and everything. And one of them was there was there's there's discussion of a bill that would raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars in this country. Um, there are a lot of, uh, cities, I believe that already have a $15 minimum wage, but this would make it federal. Of course, there's the usual arguments about, you know, oh, small businesses can't pay $15 an hour and all this other stuff that's going on. But the people that pissed me off were the people who were like, it should be 25. It should be 35. It should be $50, mm. blah, blah, blah. That may be true. Maybe a hundred percent true. But you got to take baby steps. You can't just sit there and go, it should be 35 and raise the, the minimum wage from 725 and go all the way up to 35 just because we're making up for lost time. That's just not the way shit works. <laughs> and and consider it a victory if they even get the 15 passed. Um, and, uh, you know, the it. it it, the, yesterday just reading these people go just railing like $15 so fucking what and i'm like is is it is that not better than 725 can we at least <laughs> it's can at we least at least get there but it's at least twice as good it's at least twice as good <laughs> do you remember how long it's been 725 chris it's oh, been man. there for a while uh, I think when I was at Hollywood 27, I, well, I was making minimum wage. I know that. I think it was mm-hmm. 675 at that point. Yeah. It can't have been, man. I was hiring people in 2002 at 550 an hour. Oh, well, then I was making 550 an hour for <laughs> sure. I certainly didn't have any like experience or anything I like that. I feel like this, the last time it was moved up was like 2008, 2009. I think he's right there. about there. Yeah. It was an Obama, early Obama thing, I think. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I really don't know. I haven't, I don't remember the last time it went up. Um, and you know, cause we're all self-centered in some way, I, minimum wage didn't affect me at all at the time that it got moved up. So, but you know, the, the, the thing that just pissed me off was there were several people and this is just Twitter. I mean, Twitter is not, you know, the, an end all of anything, 
but I was surprised at how many people came on there. And instead of being happy that $15 might even be discussed, there was a, an idea that it was just not enough. And like, mm. you have to start somewhere. You can't sit here and go, we're going to give you 50 bucks an hour now. And because that's what uh, the cost of living is and blah, blah, blah. You've got to start. <laughs> you got to start at a bare minimum, unfortunately. And yet they very well need to be 25 or $30. It may, $15 may be outdated, but Oh my God, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take victories where you can get them, uh, uh, with a Congress that this deadlocked and everything. So, uh, and, and not that we were anywhere close to getting that done yet, but it yeah. was something that was discussed and that's been sort of like, Oh, that might happen. And then we had all the, the people who are like doomsayers about everything. And it's just like, shut the fuck up. Just let <laughs> just one, just let us do one thing. And if it, and if this works and if the economy booms and everything, then maybe we talk about making it higher than that afterwards, because, Hey, that worked or mm-hmm. whatever. And then, or if it didn't, or it doesn't work, you're like, okay, well that didn't work. Well, shit. I, you yeah. know, yeah. we'll keep it at 15 or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, that's my very, very, very short rant. I like it. I see this a lot in politics uh, discussion where, you know, somebody will say zero carbon emissions now. And I'm like, that's like not practical. Why would mm-hmm. you even try and argue for that? Like we can't. I'm just, I'm, if you take politics out of it, that's not doable. That's not practical. Then we'll be, we're not just going to stop driving our cars. Um Anyway, this is mm-hmm. one of those instances to me where, yes, maybe it should be 25 an hour. That's that's not practical for a few different reasons, but it's also not passable. You're not mm-hmm. going to get that through Congress. And so you have to shoot for something that is an increase that is doable. And I'm with Chris on this. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of money, uh, I have a cheese rant. Mm. So, cheese? Uh, you say cheese? A, a cheese rant. Yes. Money and cheese. Money and cheese, like cheddar. What? Cheese is uh, money. <clears throat> that's right. So uh, there's always been this staple of downtown Nashville on Second Avenue called the Old Spaghetti Factory, um, mm. and many cities have it. You know, uh, they they're all across America at least, um, and I've been to a few of them, and it's basically uh, ambiance, right? It, it's there's a trolley in the middle of it. It's nice and done up like a palatial Victorian type of way. And they sell you pasta. It's nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing uh, the the greatest thing that you've ever had to eat. But it is fun. I used to go for my father's birthday a lot and that kind of thing. And they have on the menu this thing called Mazithra cheese with browned butter on the pasta. And Mazithra cheese is a Greek cheese uh, that I had only gotten at the old spaghetti factory. Quick side note is uh, in Nashville, the old spaghetti factory has now blowed up uh, mm-hmm. as of Christmas Day. Uh, the bomber that you guys have probably heard about and forgotten about and forgotten mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Uh, took out uh, the old spaghetti factory, which has been there at least for 25, 30, maybe more years. I remember going there in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's a whole other shame. Uh, but I always wanted to have this mazithra cheese, uh, which is shredded. It's, it's like a hardish cheese, kind of like Parmigiano Reggiano. And I always wanted to make that suddenly at my local grocer, uh, this being sprouts, uh, I had it, they had 
a container of Mazithra cheese from the old spaghetti factory. I was like, Eureka, holy shit. And so I made that shit all the time. It was delightful. After about two years ago, Sprout start, stopped selling it. So I was like, ah, well, that sucks. Uh, I forgot all about it. After the bombing happened and the old spaghetti factory is no longer in Nashville, I was like, man, I wonder where I can find that again. You can find anything online, right? So I go online. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to order some Mazitha cheese. My two options are I can get it from Instacart uh, for six bucks, something like that. Or I can order it from Walmart for $28 for a five-ounce container plus $11 shipping. So basically it equates to like the price per ounce, like beluga caviar, essentially. Mm. And as much mm -hmm. as I love this cheese, I ain't paying that much for it. So if I go to Instacart, I don't know if you guys have been following this, but Instacart uh, is a food delivery and pickup service that works with uh, several local grocers like Mariano's and Publix and stuff like that. And they have their employees tried to unionize recently and they mm -hmm. just laid off a big mass of people uh, that were agreeing to unionize. So on moral grounds, I ain't going to use fucking Instacart for anything. And I'm not going to spend 28, well, actually $39 on a five ounce container of cheese from Walmart to be delivered to my door. You see what I'm in a pickle. I am people. Mm -hmm. I want cheese. Just I can't go down cheese. to the old the, the spaghetti factory because it's blowed up. Just I am in a cheese. cheeseless zone, and Just I don't like it. Just buy the cheese. I I'm not paying $39 for really fucking cheese. cheese. I submit you don't really love cheese if you're not willing to spend it because here's the deal. Surely this is a case of supply and demand. If there were more demand for this cheese, it would be more readily available and it would cost less. So you are a unique connoisseur with a unique palate. Therefore, you ought to be willing to pay a premium for something that might have to be shipped from fucking Italy. You don't know. I could get also, a fucking black truffle, <laughs> like an entire black truffle for probably that much. And I'm not spending it on a five ounce container of Greek cheese that I could get for six bucks two years ago. Or if you didn't have morals. I have morals. Um, I agree with you, uh, Morris, but I'm also, you have a Sprouts? Yeah. God, my grocery options are Publix and Kroger. Yeah. And that is it. Yeah, Sprouts, mean, is, like Sprouts some rules. Independent shit. Yeah, Sprouts it's is dope. Crazy, but... uh, Whole Foods, they got to have that cheese, nope. right? Nope. Nope. Looked everywhere. Looked everywhere. Although I'm, I'm sure like a, like a listener will get on and say, well, actually, they're at, uh, you know, 7-Eleven. If you go to aisle six. Uh, you can find it in the, the frozen goods section. Let me ask you this. Like Have you done any Googling for that cheese and then the phrase uh, taste like? Yes. Or There's other names like for? There's nothing like it. Uh, nothing. You're just being stubborn. You gave up. Where where <clears> was <throat> this cheese being sold again that you were getting it delivered from? Uh, Instacart was the one option that was the reasonable priced option. And Walmart. Instacart was coming from where? It's just Instacart. I don't know where they pick it up from, if it's a distribution center, if it's an actual grocery. But if they can get it for you for six bucks, then somebody can give it for you for six bucks. Look, so look, if somebody there. wants to do the legwork to get this cheese to me, I'm all for it. Send How it to our P.O. box. How but I'm just it? saying that my search has ended in frustration. Don't you buy it? me cheese. Don't How buy do me cheese. It? Don't spend thirty fucking nine dollars on name? fucking cheese. I didn't cheese. say I was going to spend thirty nine dollars. Don't fucking do it. I'm not going to tell what, you the name anymore. How do anymore. I spell the cheese? No, I'm not going to tell spell you. It. It's C H E D D A R, motherfucker. Ah, how do you spell the cheese? 
<laughs> I'm not going to buy the $39 one. I want to Google. I want to prove my Google foo. No. I failed earlier. No. No. Case well, closed. I reject your entire story. I reject it. In I can't find it is the point, and I want it, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get turtle fucked. By like a fucking uh, supply and demand thing, I don't I'm even saying. know what turtle. Fuck Jeremy, I'm 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 overriding Barrett. This uh, this uh, cheese is spelt M I Z. Yes, I T H R A. Thank you. <sighs> You're gonna find it at Whole Foods for like I've been looking for years for this. I looked at Trader Joe's. I looked at Whole Foods. I looked at all over Chicago no, and Nashville. The internet. He's not. Really so He's even the Walmart pay. one was twenty eight dollars. That's correct. See, That's Instacart correct. is bringing you the same fucking thing Walmart's bringing you. So yep. I agree. They, there's got to be a way to get it. Kroger, three seven zero seven two. That's a zip Kroger code. Doesn't have it, dude. Do you Are want you the cheese? at Kroger? <laughs> you want the cheese or not? <laughs> you want the fucking cheese or not? <laughs> I'm on Instacart, and as I suspected when you were talking earlier, it does tell you where they'll be getting it from, the store and the zip code. No. So if you buy the $6 cheese from Instacart, they will get it from the Kroger at 37072. But I'm not uh, using Instacart. I'm saying go to the Kroger directly. I don't think I don't think that's a possibility, man. I don't oh think God. if you go to Kroger's website you and you search fail? for the cheese, it ain't there. I don't. But you I don't, don't know how want Instacart the is. You don't want the cheese. I'm going to buy cheese. it. I'm going to go to that Kroger and I'm going to buy it and I'm going to make a video of me dumping it out and pissing on it. I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> you can't make this your rant if finding a solution for you doesn't work. Three seven zero seven two. I'm going to Google that Kroger. Three seven zero seven two. You're in the car, bare face the cheese, and then pee in it. It's probably a really nice one. Where is this Kroger at? It's done. I'm going to this Kroger tomorrow, and I'm going to get you this fucking cheese. It's not there. It's not there. I know it's not there. Oh man, I can't wait until Jeremy oh. finds this cheese and then p- shows a picture of it to bear it. Oh my God, that's going to be great! And then whips out his dick. I'm going to end you. I want to find this cheese now more to spite you than you wanted to find it to eat it. All right, that's you have lit the fires of spite within me, and I will find this cheese and I will mock you. And then you'll find out that Dave Grohl played on every instrument on every Foo Fighters album. (laughs) Oh, all right, a spirited discussion about cheese availability. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do I dare ask if we have recommends and warns? Oh, you dare. <laughs> Totes amaze balls. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. I'll go ahead and start. Um, I'm going to recommend a movie that uh, when I ran across it on Netflix, I think it was Netflix. Uh, I was like, oh, no, not, I mean, uh, how in the world did they get Mel Gibson and Sean Penn in a movie together? (laughs) And I saw the, you know, the cover of it and I was like, oh my God, I bet this is, this is just like, uh, it's gotta be a train wreck. Right. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know how Netflix does, and I don't like this. I could actually make this a rant if I wanted, but I hate how they just go right into a fucking preview of the thing that you're highlighted. 
on i'm sure you can cut it off i'm sure you everybody in the world will send me some things and you can cut that off and blah 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 the point is i don't like the fact that they did it in the first place mm-hmm. um anyway it started playing this trailer and i actually started watching it. i was like man this might actually be pretty good i might watch this so it's about mel gibson is playing um james murray who's one of the founders or one of the editors of the original oxford dictionary oh i remember this movie coming out uh, i the watched called the, the professor and the madman oh, oh. My god! and um oh my god what you've seen this jerry I, just, I saw this movie i talked about it on the podcast i don't remember think i don't remember much at all except i don't think i liked it i'm curious to know what you thought oh, though. really you talked about this Anyway, um, you know, he, he becomes the, uh, you know, a leader in this trying to make the dictionary and everything. And they start with the letter a, so like everything is about not only can we define it and get all the different definitions of it, but we need to find the uses of it over time and find it in different texts and things like that. This of course is a very slow process. Um, and, uh, they are running behind and of course they've got people who are like, you aren't you aren't getting your shit done on time. Fuck you. I'm gonna take you off the editing of this. Who who even knows if this even happened? They probably threw this in the movie um uh just to make a conflict that wasn't actually there. But um but uh this uh this uh discussion of making a dictionary runs by Sean Penn, who is in jail because he killed this uh this guy thinking that there were there's like demons chasing after him or something like that and uh, he's been sent to a criminal asylum and uh obviously he's just sitting in his his cell doing nothing all day but he ran it there was a once mel gibson starts sending out like uh you know uh letters for people to help him out with the dictionary he runs across this and he starts coming up with words and finding the sources and everything for him a lot of the different words and stuff and so a lot of this uh uh these first letters that they get done and they think they publish letters all the way up to like 20 years before they get the full dictionary done or something like wow. that um and um and so sean penn has this sort of this is the part that maybe jeremy i'm pretty sure you may have hated he he kills natalie dormer's husband mm-hmm. and uh and and Natalie Dormer is uh, he want he, once he's in he's in prison he wants to say sorry to her and everything and say I, you know I, I you know I didn't mean to essentially and he didn't in the movie it's clear that he was not of sound mind when he did this um and uh and then he he starts showing how sorry he is and Natalie Dormer starts falling in love with him and uh and that's the part of the movie that's like i don't know if that's real or not and it seems kind of like really far-fetched and whatever so i don't i don't this is kind of a kind of a weird thing that they threw in but the actual uh friendship that develops between gibson and penn during this is really good i like the 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 idea of, of what they had to do to get this dictionary uh made like the standards that they were they were having to follow to do this and everything and i thought it was really good um <laughs> so uh except for the yeah the, the sean penn natalie dormer thing makes no sense at all but uh but everything else i loved about it and uh, i know that those two actors are super polarizing um 
but uh, I thought they did really good in this, and I was not expecting anything great from this at all. Yeah, they're polarizing, but you can't deny the fact that they're both really good actors. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I mean, it, it, what's weird about I, I loathe Mel Gibson from what I know about him as a person. Mm-hmm. But man, I can watch his movies. I could say the same thing about Kevin Spacey. I absolutely love watching Kevin Spacey act. I love watching mm-hmm. Mel Gibson act. Now, he's not always in the best movies, but I loved him in Braveheart. Um, I loved him in Maverick. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've loved him in in several, several movies. I even like have some affection for the first Lethal Weapon. Um, mm-hmm. Same with Kevin Spacey. Same with Sean Penn, man. Like uh, he, he always brings it uh, when he's in a movie. And even though it's kind of disgusting, well, it's not, dis- I mean, they're, they're, they're polarizing for very, very different reasons, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think generally I can separate the art from the artist, which has no rhyme or reason with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if that is, uh, if, if Jeremy, I hope that Jeremy didn't go like in the super huge depth, uh, on this movie in a previous podcast and <laughs> I'm just no. going over it again, but. Um, no, I really liked it. I don't remember. I really don't remember what I said. I just, I think I ended up not recommending it. It may have been a record worn or a worn, but I don't remember mm. why. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to totally check that out. And I, I want to go next because I want to, it's a populist one. And I don't, I think Chris, you've seen the first two episodes of WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Um, WandaVision has sucked all the oxygen out of the room. And I don't know if it would have done that if it were a normal year. Like if uh, Disney Plus had launched not in the middle of a pandemic uh, and there were regular MCU movies coming out like uh, uh, Scarlet uh, Widow, Black Widow, or uh, you know all the other movies that are, that are going to come out on Disney Plus. Um, if it would dominate, because it's a very subtle, slow burn mystery so far. Now, as we record this, there's only been three episodes. Uh, the first two were released at the same time, and then the third one came out as we record this, the the Friday before this. And, you know, I watch it with my son, who's a big old MCU head, if that's a thing. Um, and, uh, you know, we're all familiar with the MCU, and the first two episodes are very straightforward. Mimicry of... The first one is more of a 50s Dick Van Dyke show. Second one is more of a 60s I Love Lucy type of thing. A little bit, not necessarily Brady Bunch, but, you know, the black and white style sitcom. Uh, And I asked him what he thought afterwards, and he was like, this is boring. (laughs) And I was Mm. like, you know what? You're right. There are some weird things that happen in this universe. And if you have read anything about it, you know that this is some sort of conceit, whether it's, uh, you know, Wanda making her own universe where Vision is still alive. Obviously, Vision died in Infinity War. What's he doing back? What? Oh, yeah, fuck. Exactly. <clears throat> so, yeah. so there's something there's something sketchy going on, obviously, uh, and the cracks are, are starting to come through in the first two episodes, but the third episode is finally where they hook you right in the nards and they'll bring you right into you. Uh, because there's more tangible stuff happening. There's more of a conspiracy happening. There's a little more Easter eggs that, that relate to the general MCU coming in. And I am psyched to watch the rest of this uh, series. 
I honestly do not think it could have survived or at least thrived as much as it had, had this been a normal MCU phase four rollout, but I'm kind of intrigued and it, it, it just kind of worked out to be the perfect storm of people being patient enough because this is the only MCU content they can get right now to go with it like I did. And uh, it's very, very interesting. Chris, what did you think of the first two episodes? Oh, I, I mean, I thought that they were fine. I mean, it, it's, you know, you're there as much as this is supposed to be doing some quote heavy lifting for the next phase of Marvel's next phase, you know, whatever next phase or whatever. Um, apparently that's what this show is doing. It's a mm-hmm. big bridge to that. Uh, we have, I have seen only the first two episodes, so I don't know exactly where it's going, but, uh, it, you know, as much as there's, as there's probably, as, as there's this big mystery and everything, it does look like it's more along the lines of, we just want to kind of do something different and we're going to have a big mystery and there's going to be a, you know, I guess, satisfying ending to this that helps bridge, uh, this to the the next movies and everything. But in the end, I think there's somebody there, the people who made the show are like, we like old sitcoms. Let's make, uh, let's make, uh, our, some, a couple of our Marvel characters, characters in these old sitcoms and play with their characters a bit. Yeah, and that's too. basically what they're doing. And in the first two episodes, I thought they were fine. I mean, you have a lot of references to earlier, like, you know, sitcoms and everything. Bewitched is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Bewitched is the big one. And it was, I think there's even some, some Pleasantville yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, vibes in that second one. Uh, but, uh, but I, I thought it's fine. I, I, I'm more along the lines of it's incomplete, I'm yeah. waiting to see where this is going before I finally say, okay, that was totally worth it yeah. or not. Yeah. The, the stuff getting leading up to it has been fine, has been entertaining enough. Uh, and I think it's funny that they see there, Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen. I already love both of those actors, but, mm-hmm. uh, they seem very at ease and very just like this. There's not much, uh, that, you know, there's no, there's not a big, huge movie that they're having to be in here. And it seems like the, a lot of big weight is lifted on their acting. They're able to kind of like, Oh, this is fun. This is something that we can really get into. You're not kidding because those, those parts of Wanda and vision in the MCU and, and, uh, civil war and, uh, infinity war and, and well, not in game. Uh, but you know, those parts are what felt forced that whole, Hey, Viz, you know, yeah. you're coming through the the thing and you're cooking dinner and you got yeah. paprika and stuff like that. And we're going to give this a shot. And how do we have sex? <laughs> uh, that all seems super forced in the in the movie version. But in this yeah, version, yeah. you can see a- actual affection between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Thank God she ditched that accent. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, it's 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 interesting. I'd be curious to see where you. Uh, stand on the third episode and this uh, I I did do against my better judgment well actually not really it was a Hollywood Reporter article that speculated on where this could go based on the comics Um, they had no advanced knowledge of where it was going in the show Uh, but they they said well this is a potential and this is how this works and if it does work out the way that one of the ways that they predict it's going to be mind-blowing and I am way on board and I am rigid uh, thinking about well, it. Well, I am, 
I'm going I'm going to temper my expectations and that's the only way to go because every time I hear, Oh, it's gonna be mind blowing, it's usually like some big huge like uh Easter egg type thing that only Marvel comic people know about. Yeah. yeah. And and when they finally lay that whammy on you, it's like, Oh well, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I'm never you know, I, I I'm always the guy having to go on the internet afterwards and go, What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, and then yeah. they you know, Google knows what I what I what I need to know just from that question. You know. So Jeremy, you haven't watched this at all, right? No, it, I will if it when it's done. If people I trust tell me it's good, there, currently it's, it doesn't appeal to me at all. Mm. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that these characters don't appeal to me at all, and I'm sure the show is giving them time to be characters, whereas the movies never did, and that's why I don't give a shit about them. I'm more interested in the Loki show because it looks like it's just going to be Loki tripping around through real life historical events, causing. Mayhem. Like, did you see the trailer for that? I haven't seen the trailer now. Well, it implies he's DB Cooper at one point in the trailer. Hmm. The it's actual like, DB well, Cooper? Yes. Oh, like now hilarious. it may be alt an alt history. Yeah, yeah. Remember, he's in an alt timeline, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh but yeah, he like puts on the DB Cooper sun uh, sunglasses and smiles and it's got that Loki grin. Uh that could be a lot of fun. But no, I haven't watched this yet. Uh, I'm gonna wait and wait and see. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, we're in an alternate reality with this. The Loki show is in an alternate reality. We know that Doctor Strange is gonna be a multiverse thing. What's curious to me is that they're setting up a very expansive idea. Multiverse is are hard to manage. Like it was probably hard for people to wrap their minds around, you know, the infinity stones and Thanos and all that stuff. When you got start going into multiverses and like, you know, gods are going to have the eternals and stuff like that come up. Like how much is this comic book audience or this Marvel fan audience going to be able to, to really internalize the repercussions of all this stuff or, what I think they are going to do is yada yada like they did the time travel in Endgame and be like, multiverse, multiverse, this explains this, blah, 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 yada, yada, we're done. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably the way they're going to go. If they go full multiverse and actually like explain this shit, then it's going to be really curious. Hmm. Yeah. But I'm looking forward hmm. to it. I would recommend WandaVision for sure. Uh, stick sure. with it so far. Again, only three episodes in, but uh, I, 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 I starting getting going now. Starting ready to go. Mm-hmm. Get, mm-hmm. get on the train. All right. You All right. I'm going to recommend a 2018 movie called Rafiki, ah. um, which you can currently find on Hulu. Um, I found it flipping channels on one of the movie channels. And I'm not going to lie. My first thought when I passed the title was they made a whole movie based on that Lion King monkey guy. Uh, <laughs> and that, that is 100% why I clicked over to see the info and read what it was about. And it's about basically a coming of age forbidden lesbian relationship in Kenya where homosexuality is illegal. Um, and uh, this film is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, the main character, uh, her name is Kenna. And <clears throat> um, her parents are separated. Her dad runs a local store, like a bodega kind of store, uh, and is running for office. 
Um, she's she wears baggy skater clothes and backwards baseball caps. She's not a girly girl. Uh, and the movie's almost all in subtitles. Um, <clears throat> there's a local guy who has a moped. She hitches rides on sometimes, and he really likes her and keeps asking her out, and she keeps pushing him back. Uh, and then she spies across the street one day the daughter of her dad's political rival. This guy already holds the office. Kenna's dad is running against him. And this girl couldn't be more different than Kenna. Uh, her name is Zeke. And she wears crop tops and skirts and has long braids that are bright colors, blue and yellow and green and red. And she and her friends make up uh, pop music dance routines. Uh, and that's how they spend their afternoons. Uh, and slowly over the course of time, these two girls, uh, it starts with just looks. And then they have a couple of encounters and conversations. And it's it's just, I don't know how to say this right. It's there's nothing sensationalized about it at all. It's just, it's, I don't even feel like the movie's clearly making a statement about homosexuality because of its setting and its topic, but it, it, it's not exploiting that in any way. It's just two people falling in love uh, and it takes its time. It doesn't rush anything. Uh, it's not tawdry. Uh, they are found out eventually uh, by one of the parents. Um, they end up, um, getting arrested because uh, the local gossip tells on them. And again, it's illegal. And so the parents, uh, the elected official guy sends his daughter away to like Paris or someplace to Mm. just be gone. And Kenna has to stay here. Her dad's career is ruined. Uh, His shop has been destroyed by a violent mob and she just has to pick up the pieces. Uh, And then there's one final scene where she hears, Oh, Zeke's back in town and she goes to a place where they used to hang out. It's a beautiful ending. I'm getting goosebumps right now. The point of this movie is not spoilers, by the way. Um, and, and, and Kenna goes to the top of this hill and she hears a voice, Kenna, and she turns and it doesn't even show you the other girl. It just shows you the big smile that this girl has. And it goes to credits. I, was delighted i didn't have any expectations going in that may have played a great deal uh, i looked it up in rotten tomatoes it's a 92 so uh, i don't think i'm that far off in saying it was really good um and uh that's a full-on recommend uh it is in part english and swahili so i've heard of this movie i never i had no idea what it was about like you uh i remember a reference to this movie but i did it get a stateside release like a theatrical uh, release I don't know. It only made 175,000. Yeah, it looks like it had a US release. I feel like I've heard this net title before yeah. and it had it had to have had a uh, release of some sort. Oh, it played but it can. It might be like what Jeremy was saying where the Rafiki sounds like, yes, yeah, it's, it's like Lion King spin-off <laughs> or something like that. Um, yeah, it, 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 it looks like it played at Cannes and had a Kenyan release. And so it, it probably didn't have a theatrical release in the U.S. Um, but again, it's on Hulu. Uh, and uh, I encourage you to check it out. I'm going to check both of those out. Nice, nice recommends here. Yeah, we're having a good session, except for <laughs> <our> cheese bullshit. <laughs> 
the <laughs> the cheese thing is all that anybody will be able to talk about from this podcast. Uh, when, <laughs> it will all be. It will already be resolved by the time the podcast. Uh, is, right. I see that middle finger. All right, everybody, it's time to talk about movie <laughs> once again. Movie. Um, I, Barrett and I both saw the same movie over the past week uh, mm. called Sybil. Wow. So, Out of all of the offerings, uh, mm-hmm. we landed on the same movie. Uh, this yeah. is a, this is a, quite a movie. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a story that sort of told, it's told a, a lot out of order. It's a, like a big yep. puzzle almost. Um, it's about this, uh, psychiatrist who wants to write a book, but she is using her patients essentially to come up with story and plot ideas and everything. And one of the people in the, in this movie is played by Adele Exarchopoulos from blue is the warmest color, uh, fame, at least here. Um, and she's an actress who has, uh, who has, who is, uh, doing this intimate movie, with this other this other actor and they're going to be they're going to shoot on an island but she's pregnant with his child and they're not in like a real committed relationship but she wants to figure out if she wants to keep it or not and all this and she wants to she wants her psychiatrist to tell her what to do but psychiatrist is like i'm busy writing my book and everything Mm -hmm. but still she ends up getting into her life and everything and actually like so much into her life that she ends up on the island while they're while they're shooting the film and like really inserting herself into everything that her life is. And so it's like a, there's a lot of uh, like crazy stuff going on though. Like she's, she, the psychiatrist is conflicted by her own past and, and, uh, and her own current situation. And that keeps getting mixed up with all the other stuff that she's doing now. And it's like told in all these little, these little snippets and everything. It's a really interesting film. This I, I absolutely adored this movie. And it, it's not mm-hmm. because of my Francophile tendencies or anything like that. It's uh, There's a lot to unpack in this movie. There's a lot uh, going on where it, it ventures into absurdity to where like her life is becoming the fiction. There's times where it's super funny, especially her sister. Um, mm-hmm. There's There's times where it's a maternal drama where she doesn't want to become her, her mother. There's a time where it's an addiction thing because she's in recovery. There, this is don't ever watch this movie and say, this is what psychiatrists do. No, she's a terrible psychotherapist. She's <laughs> yes, awful. Yes. <laughs> and in fact, her psychotherapist tells her that she's awful. She's he's like, what the hell are you doing, man? Uh, I mean, what is it called? Is it, is it called transference when yeah. a psychiatrist does the things that she does in this movie? Well, it's actually counter-transference when it comes to the therapist and the patient. The patient mm-hmm. to the therapist is the transference, and the counter-transference is from mm-hmm. the therapist. And that's and she admits, she's like, uh, I'm obsessed with this woman. And you don't really know why, but uh, she keeps making decision after decision after decision. And it's just a, an, an amazing performance. Uh a, a, an actor that I wasn't aware of, Sandra Huller, a uh, German actress uh, that uh, almost steals the movie. She's the director of the movie within the movie. Oh, yeah. She's God, got some great moments. She's fantastic. The way that she talks to uh, Margot, the actress in this in this movie within the movie, is absolutely hilarious. So <laughs> this is the highest recommend that I can give of maybe anything I've seen on movie. Um, uh, is Sibyl or Sybil, um, is, is just an absolute delight. 
Uh, get it at Mubi. I haven't seen it anywhere else. It's It came out in 2019, but 2020, I think, in the States, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Um, and the French, they love them some movies where, like, uh, the the reality and the fiction sort of blend together. Yeah. Like they love making these movies about making movies, but then the making of the movie sort of gets in the lives of everybody and everything. So like uh, it's a, it's another in a long line of those anyway. But uh, yeah, uh, movies got a lot of good selections right now. So they do. And um, if you're if you're into uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, his first film or his first major release, Dogtooth, is on there. Uh, it, it, there's the, uh, the short that he did with, uh, with Matt, uh, Dylan, with Matt uh, Dylan yes. on there. There's also, uh, a few, uh, uh, titles that you may be familiar with, uh, starting with 1995's anime classic, the ghost in the shell, uh, mm-hmm. which is a tremendous movie. If you've seen the scar Joe version, disregard that from your memory, wipe it clean and go back and watch the original anime. Uh, no pun intended. Exactly. Uh, because mm. it's much better. There's also the the zombie classic, the George Romero classic, Night of the Living Dead, the '68 version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so movies got everything. What it, what it is, if, if you've gone to the site before when we've talked about it, it's changed a little bit. They have the uh, the movie of the day lineup at the top of the screen, and then there is no library. The library is basically merged into the site. It's still super curated, uh, but it but you can scroll down and you can get to movies. Like Sabeel, uh, there was a subcategory of women behind the camera. And Justine Trier is the director of Sabeel. And I was like, uh, you know what? I want to watch something from a female's perspective. And God damn it, can you not realize that it's a female director shooting this thing? It's not exploitative. You can totally tell the difference between the male gaze and the female gaze. Another story. Anyway, but uh, you can <laughs> you can get into that stuff uh, right on the main page at movie.com. And the important part, people, other than you need to go there right now to watch Sabeel, is you go to movie.com slash cinemasins and you get 30 days free. Free. Mm. No cost. 30 days. 30 days. That's a lot of movies. That's a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's still winter where, you know, the groundhog's probably going to see a shadow. Uh, well, you know, we're going to be locked in together for a few more months and you get one month free of movie. If you mm-hmm. go to movie.com slash cinema sense and you can watch amazing curated cinema that you will n- probably not find anywhere else. It's delightful. Go do it now. Does anybody want to, do we want to do another round of recommends and warns or do we want to yeah, go questions? Let's do one more round. Let's do another round. All right. Um, I'm going to recommend, uh, this is a movie. We, it's rare that we get a chance to, to do like a recommend and warn for, you know, a movie that we did an interview for or whatever, but I'm going to recommend Psycho Gorman. Ah, um, nice. We, we, uh, we interviewed the director, Stephen Kostansky. Um, and, uh, I wasn't, I mean, a lot of this was, there's not much expectation from it, but when we got a, uh, we got the, um, you know, the, somebody asked us if we wanted to interview the director and everything, I went and looked at the trailer and I was like, oh, shit, this is right up my fucking alley. <laughs> oh, my God, this is the best shit ever. This is like an 80s, you know, it's it's cheesy, but it's not. it doesn't look like they've made it to be cheesy or anything or try to be ironic or anything. They're just, they're making this movie, this movie that looks like it's straight out of the 80s and everything. It's about uh, this creature that gets buried up 
who gets buried in this uh like buried a long time ago same you know typical you know like uh what's the green lantern uh uh parallax uh, guy parallax it's the same sort of deal <laughs> parallax like they get the, there's this there's this evil that gets buried now we're in the modern day and there's these two kids playing out in the yard and and uh and uh they end up digging this this big huge hole where uh, there's this creature down below that they awaken and uh there is this uh sort of medallion that comes with it that the kids can use to control this monster um and the, the the monster is is uh you know is somebody goes around and just like destroys entire worlds and all this type of stuff uh but because this little girl's got this medallion she can make him do whatever he ever she wants and the girl uh the the girl is played uh, by somebody i had never seen before her name's nita josie hannah uh she plays this she plays this girl who's probably as crazy as Psycho Gorman is, the, the the monster in this movie. Uh she gives zero fucks, doesn't no one no one tells her what to do, especially not her parents. Her parents are hilarious in this movie. Uh the mom tries to keep things together, but the dad is just like a fucking schlub. He's such a dumb he's like such a dumbass and um and uh I like probably yeah, he's a Homer Simpson type uh kind of guy or whatever uh so a lot of this is about how they're controlling this monster and what they're going to do with it and everything and it's just funny all the way throughout there's no moments of i was when we was talking to uh the director i was like this you it's almost like you had the seinfeld philosophy here where it was like no drama no learning (laughs) whatever it was no hugging Um, no learning yeah (laughs) yeah no hugging no learning and and there's not any moments where people stop and assess and go, you know, they, we have to learn something from this or whatever. None of that shit. All of this is like, everybody's out for themselves in this movie. Um, and, uh, and, and like, you know, the, just all the different tropes that, you know, from like eighties and nineties movies and everything, just, they just lean into all those things. And they're just all, they're just, it's just amusing all the way through just such a funny movie um i can't recommend it enough i'm pretty sure it came out last week uh on uh sort of yeah, on-demand yeah. Uh-huh. services yeah, yeah. and everything uh but yeah go find it if you want to talk about a movie that just absolutely just you don't have to worry about anything at all there's no <laughs> it, it's all it is is just trying to make you laugh all the way through it uh several scenes in this where where like you'll see people fighting or doing something there's this real intense music playing with it and everything it's like dun, 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 or whatever and it always seems to cut back to like 20 feet away without the music and it shows these people doing the same things and it looks so dumb <laughs> when, they're, when, they're, when they're doing it um i think even though uh initially this doesn't seem like a jeremy movie i think jeremy might like this mm, i uh, have heard that from one other person so <clears throat> um this is yeah, it's uh, it's 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 something that I don't know if you will like or not, but I do think that you should at least give it a try. I think Barrett would be all over this movie. I was uh, this close to pulling the trigger uh, last very night. Very famously, or- Barrett, when he was when we were discussing who was going to be doing the interview and everything, Barrett sees the the press release and goes, <laughs> "No." <laughs> 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 
And, uh, and I was like, all right. And, uh, ended up watching the movie and I was like, I bet Barrett would like this. Movie. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. That's, uh, it's right. on the list for sure. Uh, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to go off script from, uh, what I wrote down and jump the gun a little bit. We are going to be doing a 2020 movie and review, uh, episode soon, somewhat soon, but I'm going to jump the gun because I have to talk about freaky. Freaky! Ooh, freaky is so uh, good! Freaky. freaky is awesome! Freaky's fun! Freaky is so much fun! This is a slasher movie starring Vince Vaughn, and uh, is it Catherine Newman? Uh, Newton. Is the, uh, Catherine Newton, uh, who is the uh, teenage girl in this movie, and it's a body swap comedy, uh, horror comedy, and I could not have less interest in this movie at first blush uh, then I did, but I decided, you know what? I'm in the mood for something light. We just watched this and it was fucking awesome. It was so <laughs> fun. What Chris just said about Psycho Gorman could apply to this movie. The, 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 uh, the beginning is so gloriously violent. It is hilarious. This movie mm-hmm. will make you absolutely giggle all the way through. You remember the first time that you watched Happy Death Day, especially it's the same director, by the way especially if you didn't know what was uh, going on in Happy Death Day before you went into it and you had so much fun like I did, this is just as much fun. Uh, Vince Vaughn, once he transitions into the teenagers, teenage girl's uh, uh, psyche, uh, but still in his body, it's it's almost as good as Jack Black playing the teenage girl in Jumanji, Welcome to the I Jungle. think it's better. I think it is, I too. I think it's better. Uh, because it's yeah. got more time to develop. Yes, there is a penis mm-hmm. joke. Yes, there is a pee joke, but it's also hilarious. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just a, a, there's there's something involving Aaron Rodgers that absolutely just killed me. Uh, th- <laughs> this movie is so much fun, man. Uh, he's a serial killer. They swap bodies. Uh, the teenage girl, Catherine Newton's character, becomes the serial killer, but she's in that body, and Vince Vaughn is the uh, the teenage girl in his body. And I hate body swap comedies. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of slasher movies, but this one hit all the right beats. It ain't perfect. Uh, there's a lot of cliches thrown in there. Uh, there's a lot of cliches that are exposed. The dude, as they're running away, her best friends, uh, the, the, the guy is like, I'm gay, you're black, we're dead. And it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But mm. it's also a way to to wink at the audience, and yeah. uh, I, this movie's fucking fun. You should watch it. I guess it's a, a play on Freaky Friday. The title is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's any like credits to the writers of Freaky Friday on this or what, but uh, but uh, the you know in the in those in Freaky Friday. I guess there are some amusing situations that come up, uh, you know, from, you know, a daughter being their own mother and the mother being their daughter and all this other type of stuff. But there's like some actual consequential actions from the fact that she is inside Vince Vaughn's body and that he's in her body because everybody thinks that, you know, she is, you know, an innocent girl Mm. that, you know, but it's also, there's a power difference too. There's a complete power difference. They don't make it where suddenly just because he's a serial killer, you know, she, he, you know, in her body, she can still do the same thing that he could do. And, um, 
And, but the fact is, is that, you know, she inside of Vince Vaughn's body puts her in a lot of danger because people know who this killer is. Yeah. They know yeah. who, that he's all, he's plastered all over the news and stuff. So he can't, she can't really show up you know, like, uh, in public really, because people know who he is. Yeah. There's a hilarious, Uh, there's a lot of interesting dynamics to it. There is. There's a hilarious scene involving Alan Ruck, uh, from, uh, Fearless Bueller. He's such a dick in this movie. Oh God, he's such a dick. And there's a whole, there's some very interesting humor that derives from her love interest. Uh, that, uh, this movie hits you. You think you know where it's coming from, but it, it hits you in different ways. And it's, it's, uh, did you enjoy this, uh, Chris? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's very much in the same. I think it, like if you wanted to have a double feature, watch Psycho Gorman and then watch Freaky. <laughs> I've, I've it, it held myself because I have to watch a lot of movies, uh, 2020 movies for, you know, our eventual episode, but I've really, really wanted to watch this again. <laughs> And again, and mm-hmm. again, yeah, uh, it's it's super fun, Jeremy. I think you'd enjoy this one. It's certainly not, you know, a, a quote gore fest or anything like that. It's just fun. I think the reason Psycho Goreman and <clears throat> and Freaky appeal to me is that I tend to like uh, a heavy dose of comedy in my horror. Yeah, like Tucker and Dale and Cabin in the Woods uh, all have their gross moments or bloody moments or slasher moments, but <clears throat> I'm having too much fun. I'm not grossed out by mm-hmm. that. So I'll have to mm-hmm. check those both yeah. out. Yeah. I will say Freaky definitely has some some deaths in it that are going to make you go, ah! Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they are so over the top. It's so great. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to warn. Am I the only one, only one warning today? Yeah. So. I'm going to warn. I'm going to keep you on Hulu, though. Um, Hulu listeners can appreciate this. Uh, Humanity Bureau, a 2017 film starring Nicolas Cage. Oh, oh no. Okay. Oh, no. It's a, it's a 25 on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, in the future, global warming has turned much of America into a desert wasteland. Okay. It's hard for people to make a living and be productive members of society in that environment. And when you are found to not be a productive member of society anymore, which is determined by an officer of the Humanity Bureau, you are exiled to a place called New Eden, which sounds and is described as paradise. Of course. Nicolas Cage arrives at, first of all, this movie is so bad. It's watchable. (laughs) I'm warning it, but I hope you watch it. Uh, <clears throat> it, the it, the budget can be seen in a few hilarious ways. They do have this like phone technology that's just like green holograms off his phone that kind of looks good for this budget of a movie. But then when he's driving in a car, you can tell the car isn't moving and Cage <laughs> is just jerking his shoulder every now and then. Uh, and the road behind him doesn't match. It's like Toonsons from Saturday Night Live. Uh, <laughs> So he shows up to this woman's house. Her actress's name is Sarah Lind. I did not recognize her, but she's been in stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a son. And Nicolas Cage, of course, has their file. The Humanity Bureau, they know all about everybody, of course. And uh, they offer him some water, but the water's no good, obviously. It's brown. It's gross. And uh, he decides, you know what, you you are not a productive member of society. You're not contributing anything. And and I'm going to schedule you and your son to go to new Eden. Um, 
Only then, after he leaves, he learns a terrible secret. <laughs> New Eden is not a paradise. What? No fucking way. <laughs> New Eden, the place where they exile non-productive members of society, is actually a killing zone. Oh. It's, it's basically where they kill the people who are not productive in society. I'll tell you what, if you want to sell the lie, Humanity Bureau, then, you know, Phrase it better than you're not a productive member of society. Go like with the island and say you won the lottery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to New Eden. It's a better place. By selecting only the people who don't do shit, you, you telegraph your twist from minute one. Anyway, it gets better because it turns out Nicolas Cage is that dude's dad, that kid's dad. And the woman is impersonating the woman Nicolas Cage fucked to make that baby. <laughs> and he decides, I have to save this kid because he's my kid. And I'm not going to have him incinerated at New Eden. I heard, I heard, much like all these post-apocalyptic movies, there's a, a free society up in Canada. <laughs> and we're going to try and make it to Canada. Mm-hmm. All the while, the other Humanity Bureau people are chasing Nicolas Cage because he's gone rogue. This is seven different movies rolled into one. Like, this is Equilibrium, The Island, uh, In Time. Uh, the, it, it, but I couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> like, I was mesmerized by the suck. And <laughs> I imagine most Nicolas Cage low-budget Pay the rent movies from the last ten years are probably equally watchably bad. Even the big budget shit he does is watchably bad, mm. like knowing. Um, <clears throat> uh, but this is terrible. You're gonna hate it, and I'm warning it. But please watch it. <laughs> <laughs> is there anybody else notable in this movie? No, no, no. I guess by extension, this is like Logan's Run as well. Yes. Um, uh logan like i was like if anybody it it seems like it seems like every i don't know 10 20 years goes by somebody's like you know what movie we haven't remade in a long time logan's run let's see if (laughs) let's see if people will be fooled this time and they always do this where it's like new eden i think the island had had a name for whatever place they were going to too the island it's called the island right it was called the island. Yeah. Oh, I thought the island was what they were on already. Oh no! Um, but this, uh, I do want to tell you the third actor, the guy pursuing Nicolas Cage all movie to try and arrest him. His name is Hugh Dillon, and he is an actor from Canada, but he's also the lead vocalist of a punk band called the Headstones. Mm, I'm not mm. familiar with that Canadian punk. He's band. been on. He's been on some episodes of uh, of Yellowstone. No, 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 it's not. Nobody else is in this movie. But here's what I do admire: is whoever wrote this very watered down concept. Uh, wrote something that was very easy to shoot on a budget. There's only like five total actors. It's a desert wasteland. So just go out into the desert near LA and shoot that shit. Um, So it was a smartly executed production of a terrible film. All right. (laughs) You imagine a Canadian punk band. Like, do you think they're, uh, they're really polite? (laughs) They probably are. We want to say fuck you, you but we'll just say thank you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm up in love with you. Um 
So, all right. So I recommended The Professor and the Madman, which I believe is on Netflix. Uh, Psycho Gorman, which is like on demand, I believe right now. You can get that on wherever you get on demand stuff. I recommended both of those. Barrett recommended WandaVision. Obviously, that's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and uh, he recommended Freaky, which is another, I believe, that's on demand mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now um uh and uh yeah i would uh, second that one jeremy recommended rafiki uh which is on hulu and um he warned the humanity bureau but i think he was really kind of wreck a warning um which is you know humanity bureau apparently is logan's run three so um so with nicholas cage and also that, that the sounds, adjustment bureau a little bit yeah and the adjustment bureau that's right. <laughs> Uh, all right. We got any uh, questions? We want to do some questions. We do have some questions. questions? And I <laughs> <laughs> question, question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. And I love these questions. Uh, here's the first one. What profession would you like to see depicted in a movie? We've seen plenty of movies about cops and robbers, but what are some other jobs that would make an inter- interesting film? I don't know if robbers is a career choice but cops is for sure and there's been a lot of cop movies uh what do you guys think i'm super biased but i think a movie projectionist could be a good movie but the problem is now those are instantly period films now (laughs) movie projectionists um uh but i always thought this I, i figured if if you ever made, you didn't have to make a movie about everything they do on their job because that would be fucking boring. You don't want to do, you know, just, you know, Hey, they started a movie and, uh, you know, they watched it or whatever, but, um, but you could do a lot of the different things like that, you know, that I remember doing on very special nights where you had like, you know, I've talked about the dark night running two prints through seven projectors and, you know, trying to get, you know, trying to get these kind of things like set up, like things to save, save movies that are going to like might even there are many times where i've saved movies playing when there was no that looked grim that the movie <laughs> was going to get to show um and things like that but you would you would put in a story around a movie theater uh there you know it would, it would be another thing around that it wouldn't be just you know <laughs> projectionist starts movies and builds movies this is what it's about <laughs> you would do a, a bunch of stuff around it and everything so we've had movies like cinema paradiso uh you know uh, depict projectionists but uh they did the sort of the same thing where it was he's a projectionist but there's like a love story involved with it and everything so we'll we'll do it that way obviously we saw fight club it's a snippet of fight club <laughs> where Brad Pitt is a projectionist and he splices in porno stuff into kids movies. Um, so, uh, but, uh, I, I think that just seeing, and you not, I mean, maybe not today, maybe, maybe it is, maybe there's even more interest to see what a projectionist did back in the day. Now that it's been almost 10 years since real, I mean, there's still projection going on, but there's not, not to the level that it was going or whatever, but, um, I always thought that you could you could drive a story around that. So I like Ooh. it. I like it. It'd be good I stuff. Like that a lot. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I'm gonna I'm I'm coming at you hot off the presses. I'm ignoring my show prep notes. Um, and there's an outfit that has been in the news locally uh, for the last five or six days uh, called Adventures with Purpose. Um, 
and I've only just learned that they existed because they just came to Nashville, but apparently they're relatively new. It's a nonprofit and they go from city to city and their mission is to pull vehicles from waterways specifically to bring closure to families of victims whose bodies have never been recovered or who went missing. Mm. So they just pulled out of Percy Priest Lake yesterday, the body of a man named Bill Simmons, who went missing, I think, six months ago. I saw that, um, yeah. His family had no idea where he had gone, had no closure. Um, and these guys are diving professionals. They used this sonar technology that somehow allowed them to know they were about to pull up the make and model of car Bill Simmons had been driving. Interesting. Um, and they went down there, d- dove down there, uh, wrapped the entire car in a net, and brought it and his body up. And now that family will have closure. And it's both morbid and fascinating and wholesome. And I never even knew this kind of a job existed. Um, And maybe that's because it's relatively new. Although these guys were clearly salvage divers before they started this nonprofit. Uh, But I think a film following those guys uh, would be fascinating, both to show I figure that has to take a toll on your psyche. I figure uh, it's hard physically to do that job. Um, and just the willpower uh, to, to decide to do that and keep doing it uh, and, and continue to face yourself with grieving families. I'm fascinated by the whole thing. It's been on my mind all morning. Yeah, it'd be That's a basis of an amazing movie. I mean, there's all That's sorts such of... such a great answer. <laughs> there's, so, there's so many different uh, angles you could take with that. Uh, you know, you could start with just the, the way this job is and what it does to people and everything. And then they, they turn up one they didn't expect. That's the murder one. That's the one where somebody, you know, and then you have a big murder mystery around it and everything. You know, what that so, reminds yeah. me of is, uh, did you guys ever, you, I, I'm sure you saw it, but did you like bringing out the dead? That, uh, Scorsese no. movie? I haven't seen the, it since it came out, but I don't remember liking it too much. Same. <clears throat> I don't think it's a bad movie, but it's an, it's a hard movie to like because it is about the paramedics and their, the toll that their job is taking on them, especially when Mm -hmm. they go to, you know, first responder type of things. And I think this could be, you know, a, a similar kind of, uh, mindset of a movie. Uh, and I, I find that very fascinating. That's an awesome answer. Uh, similarly, um, again, I am biased because I worked at a psychiatric hospital for several years, mm. but I swear to God, man, if somebody could base a story in a psychiatric hospital, I'm not talking about therapy. We've talked, we've seen, analyzed this. We've seen the Sopranos. We've seen, uh, all kinds. We just talked about in the movie ad, uh, about another psychotherapist. Uh, but I'm not talking about outpatient therapy. I'm talking about inpatient, non uh, addiction centers for purely psychiatric patients and never, ever, ever seen it from the practitioner's point of view. You've seen it in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You've seen it in Girl Interrupted. There's a little bit of perspective from Whoopi Goldberg's uh, character in Girl Interrupted, but you've never seen how shit goes down at a psychiatric hospital. I'm talking about the nurses, the charge nurses and the medication nurses. I'm talking about the counselors. I'm talking about the techs that respond to basically, you know, any sort of issue or malfeasance. And I'm talking about the janitors. I became very, very, or custodians, I should say. I became very, very close 
with the custodians in our unit because they were asked to do just miserable stuff. Um, and I, and I don't want to get into what that stuff was, but they were always happy uh, because they would find ways to interact with the staff uh, that were fascinating. Uh, the doctors, some of which were based in the hospital, some of which are what's called hospitalists, where they have an outpatient thing and they just come to the unit and do their rounds for, you know, 30 minutes or something like that. The dynamics in there are fascinating. And you, it, I don't mean to sound like condescending or anything like that, but you you can't imagine what goes on there. Uh, if you ever read House of God by Samuel Shem, uh, you know that there's sex that goes on at hospitals between staffing. You know that there's drugs going on uh, between the staff. You know that there's alcoholism. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on at hospitals in general. But in the psychiatric hospital, not only are you having to manage that dynamic interpersonally within the staff, you have to take care of people that don't have overt needs like, you know, a colonoscopy or uh, an MRI or an ECG or something like that. You have to take care of people who are depressed, people who are anxious, people who are psychotic, uh, people who are a mix of all the three, uh, people who are a mix of that and drugs. And God damn, I would watch the crap out of this. Even if I had no experience at a psychiatric hospital, I would watch the crap out of this movie uh, or mm. series. I think that would be great. Yeah. Mm, good answer. Yeah. Good answer. Like uh, next question. I like this one a lot, too. Uh, you've mentioned Ronnie Lilly from Barry and Teddy Perkins from Atlanta. This person is a very astute listener, by the way, of our uh, podcast mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. from Atlanta as great introductory episodes to their respective series. My question is, and this is such a great question. If you were trying to introduce a friend of yours, uh, to one of your favorite TV shows by showing them one episode, which would it be? And which episode would you show them? Obviously other than the pilot. What do you guys think? I love this. Um, so Jeremy has the best one for the Simpsons, but uh, you I'm can gonna, use it. Actually, I decided no, no, no. not to use. You're not going to use the Simpsons. Uh, no, I actually rather talk about uh, my Frasier one. Uh, so if you okay. want to talk about the Simpsons one, you can. All right. Well, I'll, I'll mention both the Simpsons ones. Then uh, Jeremy was going to say the monorail episode of the Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, this is at this is at its height. The Simpsons in the fourth season, I believe, that's when that episode came mm -hmm. out is is it's one of the best seasons of television in history um mm -hmm. like nearly every episode in the fourth season is great um uh it's just where the writing was just absolutely top notch and sharp and everything um there is another one i believe it's a season or two after that that i was going to say which is the homer the great episode which is the stonecutters episode oh, oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And both of those episodes have, uh, have, they have it all. Um, they have, <laughs> they have the sharp writing. They all have the, they both have, uh, memorable songs mm -hmm. in them. Uh, you know, the, the monorail episode where like, uh, the, the Leonard Nimoy shows up in that episode and he's, uh, and he's like, uh, he's, he's trying to make the monorail seem like something so much more than it is and everything is like, yes, going into a deep journey down the blah, 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 whatever. And there's, there's this guy like next to him. And he's like, does anybody here want to switch seats? You know, <laughs> um, there's all sorts of cool stuff in that episode. Um, uh, for Rick and Morty, I would pick pickle Rick as the Ooh. episode, uh, for that. That's a standalone 
sort of episode for Rick, uh, Rick and Morty that I would, uh, I would suggest, um, uh, just really fun and out there. Um, and then for game of Thrones, you know, obviously any game of Thrones past episode one, you start getting into spoilers and everything. Uh, so maybe you don't want to show anybody a late episode, but I picked the laws of gods and men. This mm. is the episode where, uh, where, where, uh, uh, Tyrion is uh, on trial for the de- for a death of a major character, and um, and uh, he has to go through this you know kangaroo court essentially uh, where everybody knows he's uh, innocent, but that he's just going to be found guilty. And then by the end of it, uh, Peter Dinklage puts in probably one of the best performances in television that you have seen in the last twenty years uh at the very end of that episode where he explains how he's feeling at that moment basically knowing that he's being sent to death and uh i would highly recommend that if you were had never seen game of thrones before i think uh, even if you get spoiled a little bit about what happens in that episode that would make you want to watch the from the beginning uh so that's a good point yeah yeah i feel i felt it's interesting. I ended up picking two episodes of two shows, and these are both probably my favorite episodes of each respective show. But the, the criteria for me was pretty specific. I want I want people to be able to get a feel for what the show is, tone, um, style. I want them to be able to get a feel for all the characters. Um, and I want them to have a really good time, so they'll want to come back to this show more. So I'll start with Frasier, and I chose the episode Ham Radio. Um, which is my all-time favorite Frasier episode where Frasier gets this harebrained idea, which is typical Frasier. Uh, let's do an old-time radio show on the talk radio station, and he convinces them to give him a half an hour to do this. And he writes this uh, nightmare in, like, horror murder mystery. <laughs> As every Frasier episode tends to do, he goes overboard with his plans. He shoots way too high. This is very typical Frasier. You get to see sibling rivalry with him and Niles. Um, And then, of course, the night of the production, it just all falls apart in real time. And it keeps cutting back to his dad and Daphne at home listening to this radio (laughs) show that has gone off the rails in ways you could never imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is laugh out loud funny. Most of the characters are here that you will know throughout the run of the show. Roz is in this episode. Bulldog is here. Kenny, the station manager, is here. Um, and everybody, Noel, Lowell, Noel, whichever Lowell, Noel, um, he's the sound effects guy who's in love with Ross. But uh, it's just, it's really fucking funny. And I think when you finish this episode, you, you'll have a smile headache and you'll be like, I got to watch more. <laughs> um, and then for Friends, uh, I chose an episode called The One with the Embryos. Um, nice. friends mm-hmm. thought they were cute because every episode is called the one with the, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, it's not cute. And it's, it, in my opinion, a famously mistitled episode. No kidding. Uh, at the time, uh, I think they believed the a story was Phoebe getting, um, in vitro fertilization with her brother's <laughs> stuff, <laughs> um, getting embryos, <laughs> getting embryos implanted in her. Uh, which would go on to be triplets, uh, and she has funny funny lines like, I have, I'm having my brother's baby. Um, 
I, but in, it ended up being the B story. The A story is this trivia contest. And I, I could tell it. You can watch this episode and see how it worked out, right? We've got to get Phoebe to this doctor. for the, What should we have all the other friends do? Well, let's joke in the beginning of the episode about how well they know each other and who knows the other ones best. And it turns into a full-fledged trivia contest where Ross writes all these questions, an entire lightning round, uh, which gives the writers an opportunity to just pop, pop, pop. Yeah. And all of these jokes land. Everybody gives a good performance, and I'm fascinated by this episode because I, I think historically Friends did not use Lisa Kudrow very well, mm-hmm. um, as we've seen in her later career. And they often gave her what I thought were morbid humor jokes, always joking about her mom's suicide mm-hmm. or being homeless, uh, and that shit's not funny. Uh, but there's an entire season, starting with this, uh, the embryos episode and going through Ross's marriage in England, where Phoebe is a B story all season. Yeah. And it's because she's pregnant. But that's because Lisa Kudrow got pregnant. And so, like, they shot some of the wedding in England in England. So Lisa Kudrow was in the third trimester and couldn't fly. And so they wrote that into the, into the plot. Phoebe can't go to the wedding because she's in her third trimester. So she's on the phone for two episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just anyway, I'm fascinated by the fact that she missed out on being a part of the most famous scene in Friends history because she was pregnant in real life and her story had to take her in a different direction. Because with most Friends fans, if they if you ask their favorite episode, they're gonna name this one. Yeah. The trivia contest. Yeah. Uh, and Lisa Coudreau had to sit it out for the most part. Yeah. There you go. You know who steals that episode uh, sneakily is David Schwimmer. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, all the reactions are fun with the, ooh, 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 I know, you know, what is Chandler's job and all that stuff. And then, of course, Courtney Cox doing the, no! Yeah. But David Schwimmer is, like, he gets so into this. He's like, what? And he, he's made the little cards <laughs> and he's made the little lightning bolts on the back of the cards and everything. Well, he keeps doing uh, game show boards. Yeah. So starting with... One hundred dollars, <laughs> and then at some point is a Jenny Aniston that's just like, stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, and he goes, excuse me. <laughs> God, he's so good. Uh, I got a show that's on Netflix right now uh, that I don't think is going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, documentary now, and uh, oh. documentary now has done three seasons now. It was originally conceived by, uh, I believe it was uh, Seth Meyers uh, and uh, Fred Armisen and Bill Hader. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think John Mulaney was in, involved in it too. Um, yeah, sort of, I don't know if he's a producer. Yeah. Or and it's, it's an anthology series and this is something that I, I don't think it's talked about enough. Uh, every episode that I've seen is absolutely hilarious. Uh, but they're mocking each documentary. Each documentary, uh, episode is introduced by Helen Mirren, uh, who acts like it's a real show. Uh, and it's a takeoff. Fiftieth season. Yeah, it's in a fiftieth season, <laughs> and it's a takeoff of all these famous documentaries: Nanook of the North, Stop Making Sense, like all, all these these uh, these documentaries that a lot of people have watched. Grey Gardens is one of them. Not all of them will resonate you with you, especially if you haven't seen the Source episode. Um, but there are a couple that will make you absolutely double over, regardless. The first one is the bunker. And uh, this is the one that got me involved in it. I have never seen The War Room on which mm-hmm. this is based. Uh, the War Room is a famous documentary uh, focusing on the campaign trail of Bill Clinton in 1992 and specifically his campaign managers, uh, James, uh, James Carville and uh, George Stephanopoulos. And so uh, 
uh, Bill Hader plays the James Carville character and he will absolutely, absolutely murder you uh, with, with this. Like, none of these things, by the way, except for the stop making sense uh, one, which was a little weird to me, but none of these are direct derivatives of the documentary. They're more real homages to them. Mm, and it's mm-hmm. not taking literal dialogue and putting it in to them and, and making fun of it. It's, it's a subtle, it's a subversive thing. So the bunker will, will get you really, really into it. But what really solidified it for me was Juan, right? Juan likes rice and chicken. <laughs> So if you if if you've if you've seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi, uh, which was on Netflix for a long time, it's about an old shop owner in Tokyo uh, who has dedicated his life to sushi, and his he's got two sons. One is he's training to be a master sushi chef, and one has been kind of. Not exiled, but done his own thing and gone off and and uh, created his own empire. And this, first of all, I didn't realize it was a direct derivative or a direct um, mockery of Jiro Dreams of Sushi because it's 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 different enough where you're just like, huh, what is this? And it starts straight enough. This is what I love about this type of humor. It starts straight enough to where you're like, really, really. And then when it does take the turn, it's just. So rewarding. It will absolutely, I've watched this episode probably five times. It's that good. Uh, and I can't recommend this enough, the series, but those are the ones that get you into it. Would you agree with that, Chris? You've seen most of these episodes, right? Yeah, I've seen them all. Um, and uh, I had seen uh, roughly 40% of the documentaries that they've, uh, they, they make fun of and these things. Um, uh, uh, I would say that your enjoyment of these episodes are not based on whether you've seen those documentaries. Mm-hmm. Or not. Uh, but when, it, if you have seen those documentaries, there is some extra layer of fun that yeah. you can have out of those yeah. because hater hater is playing Carville perfectly in that uh, one. He also in the, the spoof on the, the, the kid stays in the picture. I don't remember what the episode's title was. He plays Robert up. Evans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays Robert Evans to an absolute fucking <laughs> T in that episode. Um, oh, and uh, so, uh, but yeah, all, there there are a couple of misfires. There's a couple of weird ones that are thrown in there, yeah. and you're just like, "What the fuck is going on in this?" But they're just kind of, you know, they're just kind of stretching out and, and experimenting a couple of times. But yeah, there's some really good ones. Yeah, in those. If and you, that one that you mentioned is one of the funniest <laughs> ones. If you really want to get into it, the Blue Jean Committee, gentle and soft, uh, two-parter one <laughs> will will absolutely kill you. If you've ever seen the Eagles documentary that ran on Showtime, uh, that one in particular will get you. But it's funny. <laughs> basically, turn this, introduce somebody to this show with one episode into just uh, like the entire a series. For the whole yeah. series. Yeah, yeah, the entire series. But no, watch either of those two though. Uh, the the bunker or Juan likes rice and chicken. Just uh, no, the second one. Watch the second one. The second one will knock your socks off. You want to do one more? Let's do sure. one more. Very simple question. What is your favorite child actor performance? Um, 
So, uh, if you've, I don't know if you guys have seen Paper Moon, but Tatum O'Neill is great in that Long time uh, ago. that movie. Um, did she uh, win the Oscar I, the, for the legend, She did win the Oscar, and she was, I believe, the youngest to ever win until maybe Anna Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, Tatum O'Neill, I think the the legend is that Peter Bogdanovich really had to work to get that performance. But still, once it's all edited and everything and you watch the movie and everything, you won't be thinking about that. You'll just be seeing how great she is. She's also great, by the way, in Bad News Bears. Yeah. Um, uh, if you ever uh, get around to, to, to that one. Uh, the other one that I mentioned on this is Brooklyn Prince in the Florida Project. Oh, God. Oh. She's the main little girl, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Performances she has a she there's oh yeah she has a a moment at the end of this movie that you cannot walk away without crying. Um, nope, it's it's literally it, impossible. It's it's it, yeah, science. It's it is science. impossible. I don't know. Correct mm-hmm. my shit. Mm-hmm. God, she's um, such a terrible, terrible behaving person through this entire thing, though. Well, you know that the, they 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 uh, they explain that pretty well with uh, the the home life. Oh, so. it's so and and God, her mother is so terrible too. But you also kind of get mm. some insight on that. Mm-hmm. I love that movie so yeah. much. We should talk about that every podcast. Yes, <laughs> yes, we should. Uh, well, I want to talk more about this movie down the line, uh, so I'll tease you with with that. Uh, but. Um, the kid playing David in Minari. Mm. Uh, oh, that's a great is, answer. Uh, mostly Korean language film with Stephen Yoon, Yen, Stephen Yen yeah. from The Walking Dead. Um, fantastic movie. Probably my second favorite movie of the year so far. Still have a good handful to get through. Um, but it's lyrical. It's gorgeous to look at. Uh, and it's just a simple story of a Korean family trying to make it. Uh, as farmers in 1980s America. Uh, But the little kid, his name is Alan S. Kim. He's been in one other project before this movie called Latchkey Kids, which I'm not aware of. But um, he's he gets by a lot on the fact that I think this kid in real life is charming as hell. Um, But he's also asked as an actor to to show emotional range that you don't often see from, I would guess he's maybe five years old, six years old. Uh, when they shot this film um, and and he and the grandmother really have to carry the film at certain points. Uh, and they do, they do just fine. I want to talk about this movie more later, but he's phenomenal. That was my first answer. The other one I thought of was Maisie Williams and the second season of game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know her exact age at this point. I think she was close to, I don't know how old she is, but I know when the show started. Or 24. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, and then she was like 14. Yeah, still 13 or 14, I think. Playing a little bit younger than that. And the show has basically brought her... She she cut her hair. She's trying to pass herself off as a boy. And she ends up face-to-face with her family's biggest rival, um, the Lannister... What's-his-nuts? Uh, Tywin. Mm-hmm. And she spends the whole season as his cup maid, basically, his cup bearer. And she gets to listen to a lot of the meetings. And he doesn't know that she's his enemy's daughter. He just thinks she's some poor girl because she's very clever and she's come up with a story. Um, 
But I was impressed that whole season with how well that actress held her own with a, with Charles Dance. Is it Dance? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, who's been around for forever and is a formidable actor. And I think it's just got to be that innocence of youth where you don't know enough to be intimidated by the guy you're acting opposite because the show really needed her to have that, like, I'm not afraid of you. I'll, I'll cross words with you. I'll cross swords with you. Uh, and she's great. And uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole show. But certainly that second season was was. One of the things Game of Thrones does excellent, especially with this character uh, Maisie Williams plays, is is put odd couples together uh, and wring great drama and comedy out. Mm-hmm. She spent the whole season with the Hound later that's just priceless. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, Maisie Williams surprised me. And I thought of, of all the child actors that were young when that show began, I think she's the best. Um, anyway, so there you go. That's my answer. Nice. Nice. Yeah. She's, I think she's got a good career ahead of her. This Maisie Williams. Yeah, I think so. She was good mm-hmm. in New Mutants. She was. Uh, she was in uh, a, a movie that we saw, The uh, the Visitors. What was that movie, Chris, uh, that we saw where she played the the girlfriend to the uh, home invaders? Uh, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name right now. Um, let me look it up real quick. Yeah, it's called The Owners. The Owners. Yeah, yeah. She's really good in that. Um, you know, a performance, a child performance that is kind of overlooked because it's just kind of ingrained into the culture is Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Um, mm-hmm. that the, he was around eight, nine years old when they filmed that. And he had to carry that movie almost by himself. I mean, obviously Catherine O'Hara and John Hurt are, are doing their thing while they're, they're off and, and running and, uh, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern have their thing, but man, there's a super big chunk of that movie that has to be carried in a solo performance by Kevin McAllister and Macaulay Culkin. And he nails it. Uh, you know, not so much in Home Alone 2, but that's not his fault. And that's Home Alone 2's fault. And uh, mm-hmm. Home Alone is great, but my real answer is one that gets a little bit overlooked these days. It's a sequel, Adam's Family Values, uh, where Christina Ricci uh, absolutely slayed her performances Wednesday Adams. Now, the first one of this is... Clever. I think it was great. It was Barry Levinson, I think, that did the uh, the maybe both of them, right? Barry, Barry Sonnenfeld. Barry, Barry Sonnenfeld. I get those two confused all the time. Yeah. Um, I know. One of them should change their name. They really should. <laughs> uh, but uh, she was great in that first one. Raul Julia is fantastic in that. The whole cast is great. Uh, but Adam's Family Values is underrated as a movie, uh, both because it was kind of a sequel to a silly uh, remake of a TV show. But man, when he goes, when they send the, the, the campers off and uh, Peter McNichol is one of the, the campers or the, the counselors. And I think it's um, Baranski, uh, Christine Baranski is the, uh, the other one. And they're all happy and joyous. And they're like, hey, you look on the sunny side. And Wednesday Adams obviously is not that. And how it culminates is just absolutely fantastic. And as I am about the same age as Christina Ricci, I fell in love with her at that point. And uh, yeah, I'm still kind of in love with her, but that's a great child <laughs> performance that I appreciated when I was a child. And I appreciate now as an adult, uh, Christina Ricci people. It's hard to believe Christina Ricci is 40 going to be 41 in a few weeks, a couple weeks. It's my same age. That uh, It's mm-hmm. meant to be. It's meant to be. That's right. Better tell better tell your wife about that. Uh, she'd be fine with it. Or else, you know, 
they'll at the end of it, you know, you're going to have to explain to her why it's her fault. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, look, you've been, you've been cold and distant and you work too much. <laughs> you were never around. You were never around. <laughs> what did you expect me to do? <laughs> Nick's not oh, we came himself. full circle. <laughs> that's gonna do it for this episode keep going to syncast presented by cinemasense on facebook we're also on cinemasense twitter music video since twitter we're on discord if you want to get on discord go to the facebook page and private message me or you can go to the reddit page and find a link on the right side we're also on soundcloud uh but that's going to do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasends.com. And that is still a part of A Cuff Chapel today. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's gross. That's gross. <laughs> there it is. Uh, it's, it's like it's like it's like a it's like John Cusack going to his old locker and finding the old weed he stored there and everything. <laughs> <laughs> There were many. There were many. I've heard so, so many stories. How do you know? Reset. <laughs> Reset. Reset. Wouldn't that be awesome if well, all of a sudden I was in a different shirt and like you know. <laughs> blink? That would it's be like, amazing. Uh, Crab Imperial tonight, Jeremy. What? I'm making crab imperial tonight. What's that? It's a crab dish. Well, yes. Thank you. <laughs> it's a... Thank they you. used to make it a lot in the 50s. I've been doing a bunch of like retro recipes. Like I did a 10-layer dip for uh, the playoff games awesome. uh, this weekend. Yeah. It was yeah. fucking rad. What's the crab imperial? You're still not telling me. It's, uh, it's jumbo lump crab, like the real good stuff yeah. that you can get at Publix. Yeah. Uh, with a little bit of uh, mayo and Dijon and uh, breadcrumbs on the top, and you bake it, and apparently, and like a little lemon on top, and apparently it's amazing. Sounds amazing. So, uh, yeah, so it's basically crab. Yeah, it's crab legs without having to go through and fucking work for That's it. That's the thing. That I stuff. hate work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, work. I haven't had crab in for a really long time, and the last time I, I think it was a, a at a casino that had a buffet, and I, I went, well, I might as well get the crab, and I got it, and I, I didn't have any clue how to get the fucking crab out of those legs, man. Just no clue. Oh, yeah. And I was looking at other tables to see how they were doing it, and I was just like, no, I just, I don't know what they're doing. There, there's some nuance to it that I'm not, I'm not understanding. <laughs> Did you quizzically just stare at it? Uh, yeah, probably for a long time. Just sitting there and just like tearing at it and trying to figure out where the, the seam is or whatever the fuck it is that you need to get the crab out. And uh, I just cannot find anything. And just kind of like finding ways to eat bits of it as it went down. You went away and made a sad. Did you open a Pepsi free? If you want a Pepsi, you're going to have to pay for it. <laughs>
Are you qualified to do that? (laughs) No, of course not. She was like, no. And I was like, God damn it. Wow. (laughs) Jeremy has left the building. True story. It's a true story. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. I I definitely enjoyed hearing it. Uh, I got a delivery of my new hi-hat stand. So now I'm going to be drumming up a storm tonight. What? A hi-hat stand. For hi-hats? For drums? You have a set of drums? Yeah. I think we've had this conversation before. But was I stoned? Are you now? (laughs) There's that scene in there that they... I love it. It's on the track. I love it. uh, Where he's like... um, why did you stop playing? And then he starts getting back into his doom, 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 doom. He goes, he goes, well, wait a minute. Like I, I asked it, I asked you why you stopped playing. And then you just turn up, you just start up like a wind up <laughs> monkey. <laughs> That's at the very beginning when he's recruiting him. Right. Yeah. Old yeah. Dave Grohl. Old Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl is old. He's just turned 52. Yeah. But did you say 52. Uh, mm-hmm. That's seven years from where I'm at. You dick. Oh, yeah, you're old, too. Uh, I guarantee you that he has more energy than all of us. Yes. That guy is the real deal, man. I went, I've been to one Foo Fighters concert in my life, and he was, that was probably, oh, five years ago. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, and they played, I don't know, two and a half hours, and he was in that chair. (laughs) <laughs> that uh he got from uh who did he get that chair axel rose yeah that's right because he had just like hurt his back or something or whatever but two and a half hours he go they're, they're into the show and he comes out he comes out like they they move him like closer out into the air the area of the the general mission he's like i want you guys to know that i can go all fucking night and, <laughs> and they went on for like another hour or so it was like a long show man and that if was I'm like five mistaken, years ago if i'm not mistaken yeah. he fell off he broke his leg at yeah. a concert yeah. went mm-hmm. to the hospital got it set came back and finished the show and then was in the chair for the rest of that tour because his leg was broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a guy who loves him some rock and roll and the rock and roll lifestyle. Right it's there, about right? as pure as it is, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I've seen plenty of rock stars come and go in my day, and plenty of them love to rock, but not. It's like a Ken Griffey Jr. swing. This guy's love of golf is golf. A love of rock is that pure, mm-hmm. right? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, he was nineteen when he started with Nirvana. And he's been doing this, you know, for almost all of his life. Don't you? And have before to that, he was in a DC punk band. I forget what it was, uh, but it was really, really good. Don't you have to believe that some like he saw how dark rock and roll can be with Kurt, and not even probably before Kurt took his own life. And I feel like that only infused his joy of like he made some kind of subconscious decision to just rock was going to equal love and it wasn't going to be this dark thing that you know well yes you're right and and yes especially as the years have gone on but the color and the shape their second album he had a band the first the first one he did all himself right the, all the instruments and the second one uh he still does when they record no, no, no. He still he doesn't do that after Color and the Shape. But uh, Color and the Shape. This is before Tyler Hawkins, their drummer. Now 
got into the band. Uh, they had another drummer that played all of the tracks and he decided at the last minute, he's just going to play over him and kick the drummer out of the band. And that, that's when they got Taylor Hawkins. I thought for sure that I read that it, even after Taylor Hawkins came on, Grohl still did the drum parts in the studio. Uh, there's nothing left to lose. I think was their third album. And he, Taylor Hawkins was on that one. It was color in the shape that he, he recorded. Cause Pat Smear is on color in the shape. I'm going to Google. Uh, <laughs> do it. If I find out that I'm wrong, I'm not going to bring it up again. All right. No, they got it. I, <laughs> I may right. have seen, uh, I may have seen Foo Fighters open for red hot chili peppers in that one. In 99 that or 2000, year. somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. I, I know I saw red hot chili peppers. I don't remember if it was Foo Fighters or not, but. They toured um, at the same time that um, Californication came out uh, mm-hmm. because maybe it was not, not Nothing Left to Lose. What was their third album? It was the one that had Dead Actors and it had um, February Sky. Not February I think Sky. The Color and the Shape is the only album title that I know. Color and the Shape is the second one. Uh, there's Nothing Left to Lose. And then anyway, uh, but Taylor Hawkins, who was in Alanis Morissette's band, uh, switched over to uh, Foo Fighters at that point. And then, and they also got what the bassist and the guitar what, from Sunny Day Real Estate. Where did he? Where did he get those? I think so. I mean, Pat Smear was from Nirvana, the later days of Nirvana, and he's still with them now after a little break. Uh, but uh, and he was in the Germs before that. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think the bassist came from Sunny Day Real Estate for sure. And then I don't know about the other. They have a big band. They they have got like you know seven people in that thing. Yeah. Keep googling, Jeremy. I'm right. <laughs> what I'm I I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's only a few times where I'll say, you know what, I'm right, and Google can suck my taint. <laughs> I have a feeling we're gonna get. <clears throat> We're going to get done with this podcast today. And then Jeremy, about an hour later, is going to be like, see, here it is. <laughs> I, might, I, I think I, at this point, I'm thinking of a different a different band, a different person. You may be thinking about Smashing Pumpkins. I was Billy thinking Corgan, I may be thinking about Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corgan does do all that, including the bass, uh, not the drums. Jimmy Chamberlain recorded all the drums for yeah, all the albums. I think but, I have a case of mistaken identity here. But you're right. He did, he did the same thing with... Uh, was Siamese Dream? He like James Eha did his stuff. Darcy Retsky, uh, Retsky, yeah, Retsky did her part, and then he went back in and uh, re-recorded everything. I just loved when we had Maggie on, and you had like seen her dad's band probably at the time he was playing, and <laughs> that it was, was like, awesome. Most random. Oh yeah, I saw that band. Oh, that was band? it. King yeah. Crimson, well, and and not only to the, to the I would I said I went I saw Project Two, which was their oh, one of their yeah. side bands. And I've seen King Crimson as well. I think you've seen King Crimson as well, but I don't think you watched them because they were at that show Andrew was at that uh, Stone Daisy played. Uh, I think I think it was one of those shows that they played King Crimson did. But um, but Project Two I watched at Cannery, and um, oh really? I, I and I didn't know who anybody was in the band or anything. I just liked King Crimson. Um. And, uh, but they were playing as project two at the cannery. And when I mentioned project two, she goes, Oh yeah. I mean, they had project one, project two, project three. <laughs> oh, I was like, I didn't even know that. That's awesome. <laughs> we also went to, didn't we see Dua Lipa at cannery? Yes, we did. That was, Dua a, Lipa. That was a fun Lipa. show. Yeah. We saw Dua Lipa. 
Chris Dude, is like, hey, hey you have a whole be drum town. set. You guys have like some fucking secret lives, man. I'm well, only like, you know about on all of, of this. Lives. Um, Dua Lipa, I had been seeing all these videos on uh, MTV for like the whole summer. And number one, I was like, I kind of like these songs. Number two, I was like, she's pretty. Yeah, she is. And so like, I heard about Dua Lipa playing at Cannery and I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to get tickets to that. I mean, a Cannery. Um, and they were sold out, but I got, I got like, um, uh, StubHub or something. I bought yeah, them. They were like, like forty bucks. I think they like were that. twice yeah. the value or whatever. And uh, yeah, that was a fun show to go to. It was. It, it was stayed up past my bedtime. But like we were there with a bunch of like, well, it was eighteen and over. So we were there for with a bunch of like twenty year olds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were definitely the old people in the fucking. I group. can't think of a more anxiety inducing scenario for me than being at a concert. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I understand that. This was a, a nice, friendly crowd. This was not like a Rage Against the Machine crowd or Limp Biscuit crowd or anything like that. Or, There's one yeah. band that I wish I could have seen is Rage Against the Machine. You're not kidding, man. Yeah. And uh, they played 328 they, several times. Right before the pandemic, I thought they announced a new tour. Maybe they'll do it after the pandemic. They did. They were yeah. going to play in New York, and we were actually even thinking oh, yeah. about <laughs> planning a trip around it. Ah, that's right. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I remember I saw Michael W. Smith once, and he had a rapper open for him. I think his name was Mike E. Mike E. And then in the Christian radio world, he had like one hit. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of opening bands, but I saw Michael W. Smith. See, this is where the concerts I can talk about come in. Back before <laughs> I was anxious with crowds and back before I lost my hearing, I saw Michael W. Smith six times. I saw Whiteheart. Four times. I saw Petra probably 10 times. There you there go. You go. Michael w. I Smith just found two tape card. singles. Oh, uh, tape from, single. One from Michael W. Smith for you, which I don't even remember. That's a good song. song. And then this baby. Scorpions. There you go. I never saw them. <laughs> Follow the ghost guy. I used to. <laughs> I used to be able to sing that Michael W. Smith song where he's like, "You are holy." Oh yeah, holy that song. And and one of the cats that we had at the time would start meowing, uh, <laughs> like like you wouldn't sing any other song. You wouldn't meow. You sing that song, that cat would start meowing at you. That's hilarious. Um, that. I think is on his Christmas album. The For You? Or the you no, the on. one Christmas just singing. I don't remember this being a Christmas album. Um, I think you were singing Agnes Day. What was uh, yeah, that was Agnes Day. There was a there was a huge Michael W. Smith hit that crossed over on that no, album. Oh, I know what you're talking uh, about. I know what you're talking about. And I can't remember what the name I know of what you're it talking is. About. Now I have to know. I'm gonna I find, it. I'm I'm gonna find it before Jeremy. Oh, look at that. Dave Grohl played the drums on Michael W. Smith's album. Place in this world. <laughs> my place, place in this yeah. world. Uh, my place like, yeah. in this world. Maybe his most not good song ever. Looking for he had some really good music. <laughs> uh, dude, I rocked the shit out of that song, man. I, 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 I would always sing that song. And Agnes Day. That album. I, I listen to that album a lot. Agnes Day is a song or an artist? The one that it's I was singing earlier about the, the cat was meowing at me. <laughs> oh, um, Agnes Day. I'm sorry. A-G-N-U-S-D-E-D-E-I. But you were talking about somebody named Agnes. <laughs> I was like, what the No, I, yeah, I can see that. 
Yeah, it's a jaunty little bop bop piano um, thing. You'll like it if you can find it. He's uh, he's sixty three. This guy. Jesus, man, is the whole podcast going to be you telling me how old I am? Because oh yeah, you're old as shit. I'm not. I tell you what's going to uh, really fuck with you guys uh, this year as you start hearing about birthdays and stuff. Like people like Natalie Portman's going to be forty this year, and uh, Julia Stiles will be forty. Paris Hilton being thirty nine was enough for me. That was yeah. that was worse than Macaulay Culkin being forty. Right. <laughs>